Well, hello there. Welcome to Biblical Chili. Now listen, the cruise is just about to start. Let me fill you in on a few details if you've never been here before. You see, we speak openly about the Bible and our daily walk with Christ. And it's our continuing prayer that we help you grow closer to Jesus every day. Now, you might be wondering why it's called Biblical Chili. You see, around this table, we have people from all walks of life. Different histories, backgrounds, different futures, even different religious views. But even with all these differences, that shouldn't hinder us from carrying on a conversation. And you stepped in at a good time, too. Because the Chili Crew is walking through the Bible from cover to cover. And right now, they're in the book of Exodus. Moses talking to a burning bush. Plagues. Exodus out of slavery. And the Ten Commandments. Woo! This gives me the collywobbles just thinking about it. All right, everybody, today we are going to be starting in Exodus chapter 11, and we're also going to be doing much of chapter 12 as well. So now we're up to the final and 10th plague. And without any further ado, I just want to dive right into this one because there's a lot here. So Tom, go ahead and take this away. Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. All right, let's start unpacking. Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here, and when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that the men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. Just like he said in the very beginning. I was going to say, didn't he say this at the burning bush? Like yep. he explained, he painted this whole picture out to Moses fully. Why the articles of silver and gold? I know it's going to explain it a little bit. Isn't it just payment for their work i guess the free work free labor they had literal slave labor yeah, yeah possibly um because um, they are getting ready to leave and they're gonna need something to help sustain them but yeah but they're gonna be in the wilderness man they they, they ain't gonna eat the silver and gold <laughs> the lord made made the egyptians favorably disposed toward the people and moses himself highly regarded in egypt by pharaoh's officials and by the people so moses said this is what the lord says at about midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her hand mill. And all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt. Worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But amongst the Israelites not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. Do you think up to this point, uh, with the plagues that have happened and so forth, that the there have been some Egyptians that have already jumped ship? And they've already, you know, moved to Goshen, basically. Do you think that there already are some? And I think this is very clearly stating that many of the Egyptians are already... Uh, looking at the the Hebrews in a completely different light, or looking look yeah looking at the Hebrews at a completely different light, and they are the the Egyptians that is they they are just 
they're ready for this to be over. Yet they're kind of along for the ride because Pharaoh's not, he's not surrendering. He's not giving in. Yeah, I feel like right here um, in verse 7, you know, it says that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Is um, I mean, this whole time he's kind of been making that distinction like we have um, with the plague of the darkness, you know, where all of Egypt was in darkness. But when you looked at the the land of Goshen, you know, and the Israelites, they all had, they all had light in their dwellings. And, and even those words for darkness and light are like, you know, they had, they had enlightenment and love in their dwellings and, and Egypt had, you know, scary, dark, uh, <laughs> evil, basically. I don't know. It's like, but so there's like that distinction. And then, and then earlier, which we talked about this, it's in like chapter five, when God starts referring to Israel as my people, like even right there in the, the original language, he's making a distinction by using a completely separate word for my people as he is for any other people. He, you know, there's, there's the word Ami, which is when God says, you are my people, that's, that's your God's people. But then there's the word Goyim, which also just means people or nation, but those are the ones that are not God's people. So he's he's making that distinction kind of like later when he's going to separate the, what is it, like the sheeps from the goats or something, you know, yep. like at judgment time. Um, and yeah, God says this, like, when, when they're in the wilderness, God says this several times, you will be my people and I will be your God or I will be your God and you will be my people. Like that's mentioned a lot from this point forward. Like it, 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 God keeps reiterating every time he brings up the covenant and, and sets this up with them. As I was reading through this, I thought it was, um, I, I, I got confused for a second. I had to go back through and read it again because at the end of chapter 10, just as you say, I will never appear before you again. That's the verse 29. Um, and that, that gives you the feeling that it's a finality. Like he leaves them again or he leaves, but um, going into chapter 11, um, there was like some foreshadowing, you know, now the Lord had, had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague. And so, so this is still a continued conversation. This isn't a second encounter. This is still, you know, okay, you know, this is the last plague coming before I leave. Cause then it says Moses left in anger. And I was like, wait a second, how could Moses leave in anger if he never showed up in the first place? So, reading through the end of chapter 10 into chapter 11 as one continuous paragraph, it, it, it made more sense. And so, for you guys that are listening, you know, it, it might make it a little more easy to understand just to see that this is just the same story playing out, that the chapter break really is just there. Yeah, that chapter 11. So, like, uh, so what you're saying, and I just want to gain clarity, is at this point, it doesn't seem like Moses has left the court yet. Right. Like Pharaoh's like, you need to get out of here. And Moses goes, yeah, you're right. You're never going to see my face again. And in that instant, before Moses turns around and walks away, God gives him this, can I say vision or understanding of what's going to happen. And Moses speaks this and says, you're right. There's going to be one more plague. Well, I think that um, how he said had that, that, before he goes to Pharaoh again. Oh, okay. So you're that, saying ahead of time. That, that God had already said this to him. 
Yeah. Uh, either way, though, this, yeah. this there's I, I don't know. And and just so everyone knows, we've mentioned this before, but I'm going to bring it up again. The chapter breaks and verses are not inspired. Just so everyone is fully aware, that's not inspired. The word of God is inspired. Uh, so like some of these chapter breaks, this is one of those instances where this chapter break probably shouldn't be there. But for sake of, you know, this is obviously a, a change in topic. And reference. Right, in reference and, and yeah. But, no, that's powerful. So so right now, this is like this setup. You're, you're, God's like setting up the dominoes here. And he said, okay, this is, yeah, you're not going to see Pharaoh again. Okay, this is it. It's over. This is what's going to happen. And then God gives him some more information. And this is, this starts us off. And, and I don't want to stop anybody if you have anything else in, in chapter 11. But if, if not, Tom can go ahead and take off in chapter 12. All right. Uh, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people that there are. You are to okay, do- hold on. So he says that that's his for the first month of the year for them? Yep. Does anybody know what month that is? I mean, it doesn't always line up the same as our month. Oh, no, I know that. The Jewish calendar is way different than ours. Yeah, so it's like the month of Aviv, which is always going to be in the spring because it's it's right when, um, like it gives, it says later, I think, in um, maybe even still in Exodus, but uh, how you determine when that month starts is is you look for the, the new moon and you need to like cite it with the witnesses, but that has to be in line along with like, the, the ripening of a certain plant. So you know it's springtime, you know new things are growing, new things are starting. So once you see that ripening and then once you see the new moon, you know that the month is starting. Incidentally, did you know that the Jewish calendar does not have 365 days? They only have 360 days in their calendar. So we're talking about March-ish, spring-ish, or I'm sorry, Marchy, April-ish, somewhere in yeah, there. Yeah, it's usually March or April. Okay, okay. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just, I never knew what month that was. All right. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Verse 4, if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it. Sorry. When you, when you roast something, it, it smells really good. Right. Yeah. So like they're like, you know, he's saying don't eat it raw or boil it. And 
but roast it. So they're roasting the herbs and the 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 lamb. And so imagine that like smell of everyone in this whole community roasting lamb. I'm sure that's just like wafting over Egypt. <laughs> and they're like, what is going on? The the very interesting thing was verse four, it said, and if the household is too small, mine says, if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. Okay. I find that interesting because that that tells me that God wants everyone to have access to this. Because I'm sure if you say a house is too small, that could mean either not very not very many people or not enough money to get a lamb. So right. I mean it well, could it could mean a whole bunch of things there. It also is like waste not want not. Take care of what you have. You know, it's um if you know that you guys are leaving and you're going to have a very um you know, very, a very fixed amount of food at your disposal, take care of it. You know, only, only take what you're going to need and then share it with your neighbor. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I I feel like this really reveals God's just like another aspect of God's character, you know, that, that you're, you're taking in this animal. And so only take what you need and, you know, then you bring it into your house. Like you shall keep it you know, until the 14th day of the month. So you're kind of getting attached to that animal and you're I was just going to ask that. That's because yeah. on the 10th day you take it, right? And on the 14th, am I correct? So four days later, correct? Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you, 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 you take it. Yeah. And then you, it's kind of that process, which they, they do later in Leviticus too, but it's, it's, you are getting attached to it and you are identifying with it. So it's not just this, this thing, you know, it's, it's this is a unblemished, sweet, adorable baby lamb, you know, that you're going to be like, oh, this is so cute. And <laughs> like, then you see that, you know, how that has to, has to die for you. So it's, it's, it's becoming way more meaningful and you're way more invested and attached to it that way. Yeah. Um, as I'm reading this, I hear Jeff Probst in my head from Survivor. So it, it's like he's telling them the rules of the game, and this is how we're going to win immunity from and, and reward for this leg of the race. You know, that's just what I'm 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 hearing in my head as I'm reading the the rules here. Do not eat the ma- the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. And right here is where it got me. Is like with your cloak tucked into your belt, with your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, you have to eat this lamb one-handed, <laughs> and go. Um, you have to eat it in haste because it's the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you, and when I <clears throat> will touch you when I strike Egypt. It, with this, though, like that, all of that right there, that description you just gave, it means be ready. Like, because, okay, so, so unleavened bread. Anybody know what that means? Bread without yeast. Leaven is yeast. Yeast, for those of you who have made homemade bread, yeast takes time to rise. And also <laughs> yeast or leaven is actually a symbol in the New Testament a lot and, and the Old Testament a little bit uh, about with sin, 
It's actually a symbol of sin. Uh, but the point in, in this small reference here about, about being ready, like having your cloak on, having your sandals tied up, right? And, and you, you are ready to book it, right? Because they're not, they're not packing up. Like I, I love the Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments, but they're ready to leave. But in the morning in the movie, they're like packing up and this looks like they're taking a few hours to get everything. Right. Oh, no, they're like Pharaoh's getting you out of here now. And God is preparing them for this type of thing. That's why it's the bitter herbs and and, and, and ready. And um, like when it says, OK, everybody's eating their fill. OK, we burn it because it's over. It's this. This is done. Uh, I find it. There's just so, so much symbolism, obviously, Jesus, because like John the Baptist said, that um, when Jesus first saw John the Baptist, but John the Baptist goes, uh, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the reason he said this was was in no, is obvious reference to the Lamb here that and initially saved, this was one of the lambs, obviously, for sacrifice, but the, the Lamb that saved each firstborn because of the, the blood that was spread on, on the lentils and the doorpost. Uh, now, let, let me ask this. Do you think that this applied to the entire land of Egypt also? So Goshen and Egypt. I believe so. I, w- I would say so because, um, like you said, there was those that jumped ship. You know, and I'm so sure. if they're if they're going to be with the the Hebrews, then they're going to live like the Hebrews, uh, and and if they're going to believe in the Hebrews God, then they're going okay. to abide by the Hebrews God's commandments here. Okay, so this would be kind of like their first, I, I don't know, act of obedience, right? I, I guess the Egyptian act of obedience of of changing gods, uh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, shifting gears here. One thing I wanted to uh, highlight, though, is about the burning up of the leftovers. Okay. You know, um, they were told to take only the the amount that every person would eat. You know, so burning up what's left the next day would show, like, you know, how much they overwhelmed themselves with, with extra, extra food that is now just wasted. You know, to help them understand to take care of, you know, what you what you have in your possession. You know, and and then also watching the TV show alone, cooking everything with the internal organs still inside of it, um, it 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 means that you don't have that 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 uh, spoiled smell, and with with uh, so like if you were to clean the animal, you'd have all the the guts and entrails and stuff in there, and left overnight, it would it really smell. But you can cook everything inside of the carcass, and most of it, including the stomach contents, is edible. You know, you just you know, and and because it's all roasted, it's all reheated, so it's safe for your your consumption too. <laughs> Sanitized. First all right. One, so, okay. So, well, hold on. One last thing. the The promise here, uh, verse twelve, it says, "For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt." Both a man and beast. I find that interesting. Why the beasts are added to that? Like, was God, like, really trying to make a point of the firstborn? And against and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. And that's probably it right there. 
you know, we just kind of like a complete. Yeah. Boom. You know, because there's so many gods of Egypt and almost every one of them were tied to an animal of some shape and form. So yep. for all of the creatures that were around there that they considered to be holy, boom, you know, the Your firstborn, firstborn is, gone. is gone. Good point. We've been going through, as we've gone through all of this, we've been taking time to mention all of these different gods, the god of frogs, the god of of bugs, the god of this, that, and the other thing. So if God is going to go through and make an, I guess, emphatic statement, then what better way to systematically go through and make the statement in every single applicable place? We mentioned this before that Pharaoh is a god, the god of the humans. Yeah, the, yep. He is. He's well, and, and for all intents and purposes, to to put like a Greek term on it, he's more like a demigod. That when he dies or passes to the afterlife, he becomes a full worshipable, worshipable god. Is that a word? Worshipable god. Uh, so, but when it comes to this, you guys are making a great point about this. Just complete, just cutting at the root. This is over. He's also attacking Pharaoh directly because he is the god of of life more or less if you noticed as as we've gone through and mentioned these different gods there is an escalation that's taking place you know a lot of the former gods that we've mentioned might not be the ones that are on the tip of everybody's tongue but was it last week that we mentioned raw and now this week with osiris and we're getting oh, yeah. to now with, with the whole darkness thing that was raw Right. We're getting we're getting now to the point of um, hitting the biggest figureheads within the Egyptian belief system. Yeah. Um, One of the things that like so like where it says in verse 12 and I'm going to have to kind of jump ahead a couple verses, but I feel like this is a very important um, thing to point out and to kind of tie together. It talks, it says, you know, I will go through the land of Egypt and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast against all gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And so then if we, if we go ahead, we see how he executes these judgments. And it says in verse 23, that the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And there's wow. another verse in Isaiah that basically says the same thing. It says that um, God allowed the destroying spirits into Israel to wreak havoc and destruction. So it's like he's executing judgment, but what he's doing is he's, when he sees the blood, He's passing over your doorpost and his spirit is in there protecting you from the destroy, you know, from the evil one, from what does it say? From the it says destroyer. destroyer. So, you know, he's he does not do evil. You know, he's not he's not going through killing the firstborn. He's removing his protection from everyone and he's protecting those who choose to be with him. And then the destroyer is being allowed to destroy. And I think that that's just like an important because when you read it the first time, you're like, oh, he's I mean, ultimately, he's in control of all of it. But it's like he's control. You know, he's 
killing all the firstborn, but then you see later and you see through Isaiah 2 revealed that he's removing his protection and he's allowing the destroyer to do that, you know? That's a really good point to bring up because that's probably one of the chief, the chief things that comes up whenever you hear somebody trying to address um, haphazardly the Old Testament, specifically the first, the first five books that, you know, well, why did God kill so many innocent people and all of that kind of stuff? But that's a very important distinction to make that it wasn't like God sitting there sniping people off that, that this was more orchestrated than that. I don't know if that's the right way of saying it. Right. And how there's, there's a, an evil force out there and there's God who is loving and good and it's mm -hmm. his spirit and his goodness. And those people being obedient to what he said and, and, you know, with the, the blood and all the symbolism behind all that, like is them choosing to do that, that allowed his spirit to enter into their houses to protect them from the evil force, the destroyer from which all the other people, they had the same choice, but they chose that, you know? Yeah, right. Amen. And going through this many, uh, through this many plagues and it took this long for that to, to happen. You know, I'm not, you know, shooting down the, the Egyptians cause obviously they had their own gods and I'm sure they had their own evidences and knew that these gods were the gods, but it took for many of them, nine plagues for them to realize, Oh, wait a minute. Okay. We got to get out of here. <laughs> like this is, this is over. All right. Can Con continuing on to verse 14. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For wh whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. Boom. On the first day... Hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do not work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening to the, of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses, and anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast wherever you live. You must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, 
Why do, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Do you think that this is uh, one of the first instances of uh, direct interaction with the Holy Spirit with believers. I know that um, uh, we talk a lot about it in the New Testament, where he says the the, the great Counselor will come and dwell in you, you know, uh, and will take my place. Um, and we we we've heard from the Holy Spirit, you know, in early Genesis because he hovered over the face of the deep, you know. And so, do you think this would be one of the you know one of the earlier um, instances where the Holy Spirit is actually living in all the believers in the Old Testament? I would have to say no, only because the term Spirit of God is more than just in the creation account. or Because it says you know, all throughout Genesis, we've heard the term Spirit of the Lord or the Lord's Spirit or the Spirit of God several times in even Genesis, because we're only up to the second book, came in when it came to you know, Abraham or Jacob or, or, you know, that type of thing. Like you'd, you'd hear and you write, read these type of things in scripture. So I don't think it was the first interaction because I think the spirit of God, he's, he's always been with man. I think just after Christ came, it was like, I don't know, maybe I could say he had a, a more direct role because, because <laughs> of what Christ did, you know, gave, gave, gave us that way out type of thing. So I don't think it would be the direct. Maybe this is a different kind, though, like a different, um, I don't mean like a different kind of Holy Spirit, but I mean like a different kind of interaction. Well, I mean, we've had interactions with God, like you hear the voice, you know, um, you know, and that would be like attributed to God the Father, you know, and then we have the Christophany of, you know, God the Son, you know, and now this would be an instance of the Holy Spirit dwelling in, in the homes. Yeah, I, I think that this is that, at least the clearest picture of like explaining to the the Israelites and explaining to us later, like what's happening. <laughs> like, you know, we, we are applying the blood of the lamb and therefore we can be filled with the spirit. And like, so like nowhere, it might mention the spirit earlier, but like, this is a very clear, this is what's happening. And because you're filled with my spirit, you know, you're going to be protected from the the death, you know? I mean, obviously, we're all going to die, but, like, you're going to be protected from the destroyer who's going to come and smite you. So it's like, you know, it's it's a, a forever picture now that we have, and we, we know what what's happening, what happens. <laughs> Can I ask, who do you think the destroyer is? My, my knee jerk is... Uh... You know, when we talked about the, the angels that were mentioned in the Bible. Okay. And there was the one that was mentioned only one time in, in, in Revelation. I can't remember his name now. It's who was the destroyer, remember? Who was the destroyer? Oh, no. 
okay, so this is Revelation 9, 11, it says, and, and they had a they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name is, in Hebrew, Abaddon, or Abaddon, who in the Greek, he has the name Apollyon. That is? Destroyer. Mine doesn't say anything. I don't know. In the NIV, that says, "Go ahead." They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is Apollyon, that is destroyer. Yep. Oh yeah, I see in the commentary. Mine says means destroyer. I have heard people say, and I've heard a message on this, but once again, the pastor that I heard who gave this message was not adamant about it, but it is a relevant point. Okay. He believed that it could have been God or Jesus because yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, it it I'm not, I wouldn't be dogmatic about it, but I was always told it was the angel of death. But the word angels nowhere in this chapter. It just calls him the destroyer. And then it says down in in uh verse 29 it says the lord capital l capital o capital r capital d struck all the firstborn in the land of egypt from the firstborn of pharaoh yada 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 it goes on and on now the reason the argument that i heard and once again i'm not going to be dogmatic about it but there there could be a point here in the book of uh matthew 10 and this is Matthew 10, verse 27. It says, and this is Jesus speaking, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach to the housetops. Verse 28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him, by the way, that's capital H, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It's talking about God. God is the one that can destroy body and soul and because he's the only one that can. Now, the reason I say that is that's... I, I think he's got a point because I... And let's, like I said, I'm not dogmatic about it, but I think knowing God's character, I don't think God would entrust literally taking the breath out of who knows how many, probably hundreds, if not into the thousands of people who were, life was taken out of them for no other reason other than they were not, they were disobedient from from his command. Like Susanna was talking about, this obedience to God, this, this first interaction that Tom talked about, this could have been their first time that they actually obeyed God. So they were disobedient to the Lord. And God actually calls this a judgment. Like, this is a real judgment on these people. The, the, the message goes, and I think there's a point here, is I don't think God, in his character, would let anyone else do it other than himself. Because if he is, hold on, he is the judge in the end of days. It's not the angels, it's not the devil, it's not it's anybody, it's God the Father is the final judge. Now, I, I just have to rebuttal this with a conversation that we've had before where um, 
I asked the question about the hardening of hearts. Yes. And you guys told me that that is not in God's character, even though he's saying that I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Would this not be the same terminology? No, because this is the, the whole hardening of the heart thing. When it says, I will harden his heart, it's always around, it's, it's sandwiched in between these two things of God says, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, and then I'll harden his heart. God's talking about his heart's going to be hardened because of what I'm doing, not because of I'm doing it to him. So this would, when it comes to this judgment, it's, it's God said, okay, listen, I have, I, and by, actually up to this point, by the way, they've seen 10 plagues. This is technically the 11th play or, or the 11th miracle. I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say plague. They've seen 10 miracles of God. The snake being the first one. They've seen 10 miracles because I guarantee that word, the word got around Egypt. So I'm just saying like they were given ample opportunity, just like the mercy and grace that God extends to us today. He's giving ample opportunity. The Bible actually says that God, God is, is long suffering, uh, which, which means, you know, he doesn't want anybody to perish, but the fact is, is there has to be a judgment on evil. Go ahead, Suzanne. I'm sorry. I interrupted. Oh, sorry. I was interrupting. So <laughs> <laughs> touche. <laughs> uh, I think like even with the the hardening of the heart, that's I do think it's kind of the same thing where it, it's it uses interchangeably. Pharaoh hardened his own heart and God hardened his heart. But interestingly enough, like when you're you're looking in the original language, it it doesn't say anything. The word there isn't anything about like hardening your heart. It's it's allowed it's given, it's allowed to feel a weight. So it's like, it's as if there, there, there was like, we all have a burden that's put on our shoulders, but God can lift the burden, but God was allowing Pharaoh to feel the weight of that burden on his shoulders. So he doesn't really have anything to even do with his heart hardening. It's saying, it's saying that he chose wrong. And I, I feel like with the plagues, the whole thing that's constantly being laid out is, is as he's making this distinction between his people and the other people, he's saying, if you choose this way, you know, it's destruction. But that's that's my judgment, but it's the consequences of your actions. And I'm removing my protection by allowing you to feel how bad that is. And we all have to feel how bad that is. And if we didn't have any of God lifting those burdens for us, we would all do terrible things because there wouldn't be consequences and we'd all be dead, you know, like, so you have to feel it sometimes. So he was allowing Pharaoh <laughs> to feel the consequences and feel, like feel the, the weight of his choices. Right. So, so here with the destroying angel or with the destroyer, it's like, he's made this distinction and he's made it over and over again. He said, if you choose your way, these terrible things are happening, but it's, it's you being allowed to feel the consequences and feel what you deserve. But if you choose my way, I remove that burden. I bring you into the light and I protect you and I shield you from all the darkness, that word for darkness, you know, that was out there. That's, that's, it's evil. It's, it's bad. It's not just like lack of light. It's, you know, it's just all of the bad stuff. It's like, I'm bringing you into my light and I'm protecting you from the bad stuff that's there. So with the destroying angels, he's, he's coming in and he's filling you with the light, 
that's protecting you from the dark. I think. So you think that the destroyer is an angel or an- angels? Angels? I mean, I would say, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I feel like when we had the whole discussion on angels, I was kind of silent because the Bible doesn't give a lot. I feel like there's really not a whole lot on personally. <laughs> I'm more of the the messengers and the angels being. Um, though I don't know. I feel like there are probably there's the good angels that are mentioned by names. There's probably bad angels that are real things. But I think a lot of times it is just the consequences of your actions. And you know, like God said in the beginning, if you you know, if you choose your own knowledge of good and evil, and if you do this, then you will surely die. So that there's death that direction. Right. So and like and that's have- that that's what's called the great controversy. God is for a, for lack of better um 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 verbiage here, God is in the process of trying to eliminate sin in the universe. And this is his way of trying trying i say i say trying like like god's gonna fail or something that's not what i'm saying he's trying because we're the variable in this equation and god is trying to eliminate sin but at the same time he's trying to save the thing that he has his utmost heart and love for and that is you and that is me and that is tom and that is sully and joe and it's just it's it's all of us here and it's 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 a very difficult i i often i i've heard this actually said i i, I don't say it very often but uh, I've heard it said that God in our own hearts is trying to perform what's known as a syndectomy. It's it's a surgical procedure where he is trying to cut the sin out of our life or out of our heart, yet at the same time, trying to keep us alive. And it's a very difficult process on God's side because th- this is something that he has to, we have to willingly let him crack open our chest and and start cutting some of the some of the evil that 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 we've put in there ourselves there's a judgment coming for evil the judgment believe it or not is not on people if we've chosen the side of sin god's going to destroy sin that's what he says he's going to he's going to get rid of it all and if we've stepped on that side of sin well that's you you're the one that's attached to it god is going to burn that sin away whether you're attached to it or not and that's why like I said, God, the scripture says that he's, he's long suffering and merciful and kind, and he wants to give us this mercy, but he can't give us mercy forever. And when it comes to Egypt, in this instance, the mercy was over. It's, it's okay, I'm giving you one plague. I'm giving you another, trying to get your attention here. And it's just, unfortunately, in this instance, not, not working out for a good chunk of Egypt. Sadly right. Enough. Well, and that's where like that language over and over again, too, where he says, you know, I will cut you off of my people. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's, he's well, like throwing Tom, you Tom out just of the read it about the, about the leaven, right? They will be cut mm-hmm. off from the congregation. Right. So it's like, and, and I think it's interesting. You brought up the, the uh, leaven, you know, being likened to sin. So he's, he's basically saying like, if you're still choosing these idols of Egypt, you know, you, you have to throw them out. You have to throw them all out. And if you're thinking you can leave them in there intentionally, not that you might not mess up everyone's up, but if you're thinking you can leave some of that old Egyptian pagan idolatry, all that sin behind, if you're thinking, oh, it's okay, like a little bit of leaven is fine, then it's not. Like he'll he'll cut you off. You know, you have to clean it all out. And and that whole honestly, it's kind of that that ritual of, you know, they go on to say, you know, every 
they do this every year where they remove the leaven from their houses. Not that they don't eat leavened bread every single other day of the year, but there's something, <laughs> a physical reminder about going through and um, cleaning out the house, so to speak, because, you know, you don't know what might have accumulated in there in the last year. So you clean it out and you get rid of it. And there's a um, verse in Corinthians that's talking about that very same thing. He's like, it's reported that there's sexual morality among you. There's pridefulness. And, you know, I'm, I'm not there with you, but I'm pronouncing judgment on those who did this. And Paul is saying, you know, your boasting is not good. Do you know that a little leaven works through the whole batch of dough? I was going to say, didn't Jesus just say that a little bit of leaven does, right. does the whole so he's thing? Like, Do yeah. you not know this? And he said, get rid of the old leaven, that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So even after Christ's death and resurrection, he was still saying, sin has sin will weed its way back in, but, and it, it, don't you know how it works? You know, if you allow that little bit in, it's going to take over the whole thing. So it's like you know, a wedge. It, it'll, it'll keep driving between you, between you and Christ. Right. Right. And he's referencing this feast, you know, he's saying, therefore, let us get rid of the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but Bring in the new oven, unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. <laughs> Did you guys notice that um, from 14 to 16, he's talking about now. And then from 17 to 20, he was talking about the future and what, what is to come. Yeah, he, he was setting this whole thing up. So he was like, right now, commemorate it. Like, this is the, the launching period. This is what you need to remember. Now, going forward, celebrate it. And then celebrate it on these days. And your your community is, you know, going to get larger as your families grow larger. You know, and so this is what you're supposed to do. And if you don't, then they have to leave the community. They'll be voted out. I have heard of some families because, okay, so this whole thing, and I'm sure we're going to go to the Passover because uh, later on in Exodus and actually Deuteronomy and number, they, they, he, the Passover is brought up so many times because this is a, a crucial part in the celebration. I think because it's this physical, a literal physical manifestation of your faith in Christ, like your faith in God, right? You, you are, you're engaging this to remind you of what God has done, because that's what it says, remind you of what I've done to Egypt and how, how I've released you from Egypt and, and, and set you free, all this stuff, right? I have heard of some families, actually Christian families, that do this to help their, their children understand the, that, you know, not from a Hebrew perspective necessarily, but from the perspective that, listen, Jesus is our lamb. And when they do this physical type of thing where they, they, they make, you know, bread and they make, you know, they, they use the, the bitter herbs and, and they, uh, that night, like, you know how it says they were, they were eating what until midnight or something like that. And they eat and they, they stay up all the way till midnight and, and they have this celebration. And it, I've heard of Christian families doing this. What do you guys think about that? When and because I know this is kind of like a Hebrew 
thing, but what about Christian families engaging? I don't mean like making it require that we do this, but I mean like um, for for that physical reminder of of where this kind of stemmed from. I think that if it's uh, it's in context, like you know, you're doing it for this remembrance, then it'd be then it'd be worthwhile to do just to do. It would lose its impact. You know, absolutely. Much like the open table for communion, like if you're just gonna go, you know, drink the juice and eat the bread, just to drink the juice and eat the bread, then you might as well just go have lunch. But if you're doing it for the reason. Then, then that's what would be impactful for it. That's a great point, because I, I'm sure, and I'm not. I, I obviously did not live in the first century, but I'm sure, uh, because even Jesus said this. You know, in 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 the scriptures, you think you have eternal life, but this is about me. In other words, I I'm sure, and Tom, this is really important because what you just said. If we're doing these ceremonies, if we're doing even even something like taking communion, if we're doing these ceremony ceremonies but missing the point then then we're just we're just clanging brass we're loud mouths we're not we're, what are we doing what what are we doing to actually further the kingdom with this especially our engagement with god if we're missing the point of of cuz i'm i'm sure that there were many people in the first century church and we have evidence of this because of what jesus did jesus actually Remember, he braided cords together and he was whipping it in the air to get people out of the temple. You have turned, you know, and he actually said, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And he he was all upset. Why? Because they were selling and buying sheep and doves and all this stuff in the courts, but not the temple courts. These were the side temple courts. Believe it or not, they took over the area where the Gentiles belonged. God wanted part of the temple to have Gentiles. Now, mind you, it was outside of the, the temple region. It was kind of like the outside courts. But there was this area designated for, for Gentiles to come in to look to say, hey, Sully in, in, uh, is, is, a, is a Hebrew and, and, and he's a Jew and he's, he's in there and he's worshiping this, this God and, and I'm real interested. And, and it, as a Gentile, I could come to this space and engage with them as long as I wasn't in the temple, you know, like in the holy place, most holy place, and in the outer courts and all this stuff, it was it was a separate area. But they had turned it into something that it wasn't meant to be. So, Susanna, you were just saying, you know, you have this the lamb in your home for four days. Well, what happens when you have this lamb just tied up in your home for four days and you don't really care because it's a prop tied to the table and it's more of a nuisance than a lamb? I think we're missing the point. Yeah, well, this is definitely something that's super near and dear to my heart because we actually celebrate Passover. Yeah. Year, so. Do you do you do the like the the cloak in the belt and the thing and it's roasting a lamb? Do you? Well, you know, we don't take our shoes off, and it's not. Um, and we kind of incorporate some more New Testament things, like okay. Jesus, you know, his Last Supper. He says to to humble yourself and be a servant and, and wash each other's feet. So we do foot washings. Uh-huh. Um, well, my, my church it, does foot washings when we do communion. So that's that was something weird yeah. to me. I'll tell you right now. That was weird to me. But it was it's that's still. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird to me at first when we first started doing it. But I I love it now because it's it does make these stories just come to life. Like you're just you're experiencing it. And, and I didn't know all of the details about this, you know, but doing it every year we we go over the symbolism of of each thing and what that meant and what God did for us. 
and and what Jesus did for us. And, you know, now it has even more meaning because all these things that we're pointing, we're pointing towards, forward. you know, they kind of came to light. So here, even in this Corinthians verse, you know, he's saying Christ is our Passover lamb, you know, and he's been sacrificed. And, you know, it seems like here they're, you know, and he's talking to Corinthians, he's talking to Jews, he's talking to Greeks, you know, he's talking to kind of a mixture of people and he's saying, let us keep the feast and he's tying meaning he's tying metaphorical meaning to the bread and to the lamb and to all these things that i think can really get kind of lost to let it because he even god even said it in here to moses to to this this will be a remembrance it's something right. to bring the remembrance of what god has done to bring you out of the land of egypt wow well, I, I think this has been great. You guys, do do we want to cap this off, or does anybody else have have any uh, ending words? I've never, I've honestly, Susanna, I've never met a family that did that. I've heard of some families doing that, but that's, that's spectacular. <laughs> okay. If not, uh, Joe, could you lead us out in a word of prayer, man? Yeah. Father God, I thank you for another opportunity to be able to come together and comb over your word. Father, I thank you for um, this opportunity for this collection of the saints. Um, Father, I pray that that these words bless your word, blesses your people and the people listening. Father, I thank you for who and what you are. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 This has been Justin. This has been Tom. This has been Sully. This has been Joe. This is Susanna. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Now, listen, just because this is the end of the episode doesn't mean it's the end of the conversation. You can find Biblical Chili on almost any social media outlet. Also, each week, Biblical Chili goes live on YouTube. And if you're not a big fan of YouTube, just search for Biblical Chili anywhere, and I'm sure you'll be able to find us. Or just go to biblicalchili.com. We also want to make sure we give a shout out to one of our co-hosts, Joe, who's a host on BuddyWalkWithJesus.com. Now until we meet again, remember, be part of the conversation. Goodbye. Do you think they're still listening? I doubt it. There can't be that many people that listened all the way to the end of the track. Most will probably skip it. But in case you did, congratulations, you're one of the few. We love you.